residential lighting specialist to our residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. In this episode, I'm joined by Jamie Briesmeister, CEO and co-founder of Integration Controls in St. Louis, Missouri. She's a Residential Tech Today contributing writer, a CDA board member, and one of my favorite people in the industry. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast finally, Jamie. Happy New Thank Year, and so thanks much. for joining me. Thank That's you. Great. It's so good to be here. Happy New Year to you, Jeremy. Thank you. Great to see yeah. you. And uh, yeah, we've uh, we've both been busy, I think, and uh, you you and I collaborate on articles, but we've had a little break for a while. So uh, I wanted to catch up and talk about some of your you know stories that you've written for us because I think that they really tell a lot about who you are and and your your uh, take on the industry, obviously. But I also just wanted to really showcase your background and your unique. Um, career path to get to the residential tech industry. Thank you, yeah. Um, so one of the um, things that I, I obviously find, you know, really intriguing about who you are in this industry is that, A, you're a woman in a male-dominated industry, a, a co-owner of a company, and B, your background is in speech pathology which is not a speech language pathology, which is not exactly your typical path to get to home tech. So no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you no. covered that in one of your early articles. And I, I really thought that was such a cool article. It was, it was one of my favorites that you've done. Um, you talked about how, or you wrote about how you worked with children with language de delays and disorders, and that kind of helped you um, talk to clients and help them find words for things they didn't really understand or know how to explain as far as what they wanted in their home. Um, what was that career path? Like, how did you make that transition? I know that your husband, Jeff, had more of a technical background, more traditional pathway. Yeah. Um, but how did how was it that you, you came to change careers and join Jeff as co-owner of the business? It was, um, you know, we we were both working at the time in a different field. He wasn't an integrator at the time that we decided to start integration controls in 2004. Uh, and I had been a speech pathologist for three years working solidly in the field um, in a nonprofit organization, putting in some pretty grueling hours. Um, and if anyone's ever worked nonprofit, you know, sometimes the Payoff isn't always worth the time that you put in, but it's for the heart, you know. Right. Um, but I kind of burned myself out, honestly. I, I was so passionate, you know, straight out of college, ready to be my best. And I kind of uh, saw a lot of things and, and fizzled out a little too quickly that, you know, made me take pause right around the time that um, my husband was feeling a similar uh, way with his work. And he had been in, uh, in the integration world and in automation before and said, let's start this company and would you want to join me? Um, I thought I would kind of be part-time for a little while, um, kind of helping him build some, maybe some marketing materials, giving a female perspective to the organization. Um, as you may have seen, you've seen a lot of tech companies over the years. There's different ways of approach. Some can be like really super techie and kind of geek out on it. And some can be a little more design centric and that's really what we wanted to be. So, um, and then, you know, as the time kind of went on, I actually felt I struggled keeping up with my CEUs to be a speech pathologist. And mm. 
Um, I, I felt like I was, you know, and the more I dove into integration controls, the least, the, the less interested I was in, in having two jobs. And so um, it was interesting at one, one CEDIA where I was, you know, full-time as an integrator at that point, but one CEDIA expo I went to, I had really struggled with maintaining my licensure as a speech pathologist. Um, there's a lot that goes into that for anybody mm. who's ever gone there. It's a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a nine-month apprenticeship program, uh, a very intense praxis exam. Um, and, you know, with you, when you give it up, you have to redo a lot of that stuff potentially. So I was trying to keep my CEUs to maintain that. And I met someone who also was a woman in a Kaleidoscape booth at a CEDIA Expo. And she said, she was a teacher. I think she was working there as kind of a, a side job um, for the expo as a, as a, uh, a relatively uh, moderate booth babe. Uh, <laughs> not not like the booth babes of 1990s, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but she, she said something which I just found so interesting. She said, well, you know, I'm a teacher and if this is your career path to thine own self be true. And, you know, it's funny, sometimes you get permission from strangers or even closer, maybe not so close acquaintances that really give you that kind of, okay, I don't have to keep doing this just because yeah. I committed to it at one point in time. And it kind of was a freedom to say, okay, I'm officially walking away from that. Um, how I dove into learning about what integration is and home technology in general was really through uh, CEDIA and taking as many courses as I could at every expo along the way and um, getting my hands dirty out in the field and and pulling wire you know okay. I, I'm not one to um, just sell something because I know that I can uh, or go out there and promote something in an empty way and I felt like I really needed the background knowledge so I was an installer for a little while, probably not the best one, but <laughs> <laughs> my husband and our employees at the time were really patient with showing me what needed to be done. And um, through the CEDIA courses, I had learned a whole lot and um, really just kind of being out there for 16 years, um, I feel has, has given me some of my technical chops, but there's always, always, always room for growth. So, well, I mean, I think that one of the things that you have that others that are more traditional pathways to this industry uh, may not have is that you're not so mired in this idea of what it has to be because of your, you've always done tech, you know, you've yeah. always been a part of it. You know, all the answers and you don't listen. I'm saying that they would be like that. They, they may not listen as well to the client um, <laughs> because they think they know the answers to everything. And you, yeah. you are probably still feeling like you're figuring it out as you go. And um, open and receptive to more interaction. Plus you're, uh, so involved in the industry in other ways and, you know, um, CEDIA involvement. So right. it, it seems like, are you able to engage differently with a client than maybe even other folks in your company would be able to? I think, you think? so. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, we had a couple of conversations recently where, you know, our, I listen to our clients just like they're, educating me because they are. And one in particular has had a couple of uh, very clear communication pathways. And I think even in that article that I wrote for one of yours, like she, she taught me a lot <laughs> about making sure that you're very crystal clear on certain things. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's, 
it's communication. You know, yeah. I, I remember that you had said yeah. something in the article about how a question about, or you said something about, I, they don't like music, but they, right. Yeah. What was that? Rem yeah. So her me. husband was saying, you know, we were talking about music and whether or not to put speakers in a room. And she kept saying that she liked it quiet. And so her husband's like, oh no, we'll just, we don't need a man. And then she looked at him like, I said, I liked it quiet, not silent. <laughs> and, right. and that semantic is just really important. And so as a speech pathologist, we're very, we very clued into language and language has impact and there's various forms of language and, and nonverbal and, you know, actual verbal and, and the tone of your voice and the hand gestures that you use, all of that. And when you're working with children who have a, have some speech or language impairment, it's an emotional thing for the family. And oftentimes the children I worked with were very involved medically, very complicated situations, interesting family dynamics. Um, and you have to integrate a lot of the communication pathways and kind of a program and a solution for that client. And then move it forward and enact it and progress along the way until hopefully you, you reach a goal. And in a similar way with, you know, talking to clients about their home technology, they don't have the words for it. Right. They just know they want it to work and work simply. Why isn't it work? Something about it is broken. And that's our job to kind of go in and investigate and figure out and ask the right questions, you know, based on their lifestyle. I would ask, when we think about speech pathology, you know, it's not about saying the right S's and P's all the time. Really, it's the fundamental language that kind of builds who you are, the words you use, whether you attach additions to them, how you structure it. And similar in technology, it's very, um, it can be broken down into all of these little pieces. Ultimately, the, the output is whatever the experience the client has. So as integrators, you know, using that same concept, we have to go into this environment and instead of integrating communication pathways, we integrate technology. But we have to know what the client wants and, and digging that out. It's, you know, the client can tell you they want a TV on a wall all day long, but they're not going to tell you all the other hundreds of things you need to know, right? right? Exactly where you want it, the type of television that they want surround sound, what type of speakers, the amplification, maybe they don't want surround. Like they're not going to, you have to uncover that. So mm -hmm. um, I think that drawing on those skill sets, it's really, it's a people thing. It's just, a, it's a communication and if you can learn the skill sets, you know, I, there are many opportunities for people outside of tech to come into it. Um, and I think it does offer a fresh perspective. I'm, I'm not too egotistical to say I've known it this way and it's always been done. So I'm right. Yeah. You know, and um, in a lot of the meetings that I have with many different people um, in my company on other boards and CDA, I think sometimes having that outside perspective, it definitely helps. Like there's many ways to address a problem. Um, and it, it's important to have different communication pathways, you know, conversely, uh, certain clients and I don't really gel and get along. So I'm glad I have some extra staff on my team to kind of say, okay, I'm not going to gel with that client, but you can. So you run yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, one of the other things you wrote about, and, and I definitely am going to cover a lot of your articles just because I, I think you've covered so many great topics and, and they're worth re revisiting. Um, and I don't want, uh, Matt um, on Resi Week to have all the honor of talking to you about your articles, <laughs> which I've, 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 one of my best, I, we've both been, been guests on, on Resi Week. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, 
I, I, one of my favorite things is when I'm out for a walk and I'm catching up on, on that podcast and you're a guest and you talk about one of the articles you've written for me. And it's like, yes, that's like oh, cool. hitting, hitting everything, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, one, one of the topics that you mentioned that resonated as well with your career, prior career, I think was a little bit about this uh, um, audible garbage. Oh I think yeah. How you use the yeah. Terminology. Acoustic garbage. Acoustic or garbage. garbage. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what I, what I liked about that was you were talking about your sensitivities and yeah. I have similar sensitivities and I, I, I deal with tech as a editor and writer and I get a lot of opportunity to try out technology. And mm. um, recently I had something in my house that had horrible fan noise and it was like, this is not what I signed up for. It's made my life worse. I, I know it's maybe protecting the network, but it's not supposed to be in my family room. And they didn't tell me this ahead of time. So gotcha. uh, I, I, I remember you writing about how, you know, things like um, motor noise from a lift, maybe for a TV or something mm -hmm. is not what someone is going to want. And mm -hmm. you have that sensitivity to understand, hey, this has to all work in a way. Some people may not feel that way. They, they just like the gadget and don't care that it makes noise when it lifts. But sure. um, I think that was an interesting perspective as well. Just that you. you have a sensitive side that allows you to say, can we do this better? Or maybe we need to explain to the client, you can do this, but it may have this side effect. <laughs> right. Yeah. And well, and I think that like when we look at value engineering jobs, like that's a great way. There are, there are brands out there. You put them side by side. One is going to be cheaper. And I, I bet nine times out of 10 is louder. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, I could be wrong. I, I'd like to be involved in that case study, you know, <laughs> as yeah. you get products that you get to try, then we can try it out. But um, but nine times out of 10, if it's less expensive, I think that there were value decisions made in the engineering of it and probably less choices and options. And, you know, you, you need to know yourself as an integrator too. what market do you cater to, right? Mm -hmm. Like most of our clients, the details matter. Yeah. Most yeah. of our clients would be absolutely completely frustrated if they spent $100,000 on drapes and shades and didn't know that it would make a noise in their big, open, hard-surfaced home, right? Yeah. So to just kind of, you know, you paint the picture of the cool technology and the value that it brings, but like the reality is, if you choose a product that's noisy to get the job, then you're not painting this beautiful image. You know, well, you painted the image, but you didn't deliver it, right? Yeah. You delivered the visuals, but not the auditory sense. And I think that as technology people, a lot of us like hi-fi guys, right? And a lot of people in the tech world are really tuned into certain parts. You get the video guys that need to have all of the great, and I say guys mostly because, uh, you know, um, people, video people that focus on video. Acoustics, more maybe on acoustics. I had a weird experience with a salesperson at one point in time that was a terrible way to sell, in my opinion. He goes, what's more important to you, audio or video? It's like, ugh. But on some level, you know, he had, he was valid. You know, each person has a sensitivity to something. And I think it's important for us to uncover that, you know, and uh, certainly deliver on that. Uh, I, I, I would hate to invest in anything and have it be, have a loud fan in my family room. That would bug the hell out of me, <laughs> you know? I, yeah. And, and it's something so small, but, you know, a lot of times, these are big dollars people are spending. Mm -hmm. So the small things really matter. So as a company that's 16 years old, obviously you've evolved since the beginning. You, you, those early projects are a lot different probably than the types of projects yeah. you do now. 
Right. Uh, are you uh, the typical where uh, you're really only um, working on higher budget style of projects? What, what how could you describe um, yeah. the, the, the the style of the the projects that you do? Maybe yeah. uh, are you doing home theater, dedicated home theaters anymore? Just doing um, whole house control. What what would right. you say about your types of projects and budget level? Well, I think, um, you know, you asked a question earlier, maybe we, I had a different perspective, like coming out of the industry and being a woman. So I don't know if either of those are true, but, but the way that we are going about projects these days, um, it's a little bit less, it's less than the technology and it's more about the approach and the client and the relationship. So we've developed what I call our columns of client and there are three and internally we call them simple tech, attainable automation and luxury living. Okay. So internally, we, when we're meeting with a client, if they're a simple tech client, they're gonna use IoT devices most likely. They saw it at Best Buy, but they want somebody that will service them, install it correctly. They don't have the time for it um, and they just want it done right. So that's our client because we provide everything they're looking for on the service side. You know, attainable automation is more my control for clients that um, maybe want one or two or three rooms, but they don't want to go whole hog or um, it's their first or second home, but maybe not their, their final home. Uh, and then um, the design mindset fits with certain core products and budgets. Uh, and similarly on the luxury side, um, higher end projects, dream homes, bigger houses, but, but all of the clients want a good provider who's reliable and answers the phone call when something breaks and provides that service and support when they need it and is there for the long haul. So when I see a, a prospect, if it's the right one, we can meet them when they're a simple tech, fresh out of college or maybe their first home. We can grow them into their second or third home and be there when they design and, and you know live their, their dream home. And then even maybe go back down the chain as they downscale and their family moves. And, they need to be a little bit more simple later in life. So we do all scales of projects, um, but really it's focusing on the right type of client base that understands that we're in it for the long haul. It's, we're not gonna be a quick sell. We're probably not gonna deliver a proposal the fastest because we care when we put something out there that it's gonna be the right price, it'll work, it'll do what you want it to do. Um, and so that's been the approach that we've taken over time. It's certainly been something that's developed and is will always be in development though yeah yeah well, how, how big of a company are you now as far as employees number of employees we have 11 and yeah. if anyone is watching this and you're a lead tech like give me a resume <laughs> <laughs> so we're hiring for a lead technician but yeah okay and uh do you have a showroom there in st louis it's a it's a working showroom but yeah we have a, a building um when jeff and i first started our company we always wanted a house that was in a, re in a, a commercial environment. Hmm. And um, we found it in 2012, we bought a small-ish, moderate-sized house that's on a corner street in a commercial environment. So you walk in, it feels like your home. Mm -hmm. um, everything is kind of built in and embedded. So it's more, it's a working environment that we work out of, but it's also um, conceptually everything, almost everything that we would do. Uh, and then those things that we can't show, um, our clients are fantastic. They let us come into their homes. But now that COVID's around, um, digital is really where we're moving next, capturing video on all of these locations mm -hmm. and trying to assemble it in more of a digital showroom. 
And what's your day-to-day like as a CEO of the company? Are you, um, I know it's changed since COVID, yeah. I'm sure quite a bit, but it's so weird. <laughs> are, are, are you, are you um, on a nor- in normal times, as I like to call them, are, are you um, uh, out on the job sites a lot still, or are you, are you back in an, an office environment more managing the team somehow? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it is there, I don't know, normal times, like it's had, it's been almost a year, right. Since Mm -hmm. we had normal times. Um, and I, you know, I've, I was technically an employee of the company for a while. So back, it's been maybe August of 2019, uh, was when I think 2019 or 18 is whenever I became the official CEO. Um, and since then, a lot of it, like that initial part, you know, if you can imagine working with your spouse for 14 years, and then now you're in charge of everything that they managed, right? <laughs> you have mm-hmm. to delicately figure out what's the right pathway and how do we fix what's been broken um, in a way that keeps everybody engaged. And so that's not easy. Um, but one, one, what my day looks like, typically, I, uh, we have a great new software program that I don't know if a lot of people know about monday.com. It's great. I love it. Uh, One of our uh, newer hires, he's been with us a little over a year now, kind of built out Monday into a workflow. So um, unfortunately in our life, every day is a Monday. (laughs) So (laughs) we start our day in Monday um, and that just kind of has the high level tasks that we need. But, you know, on a, on a grander scale, um, lunch and learns with architects and designers still both in person and virtual. Um, definitely more virtual these days. Um, I do attend a lot of HBA meetings, as many as I can, and local chamber of commerce meetings, uh, networking meetings here internally, uh, developing relationships locally. Uh, you mentioned I'm on, I'm involved in CDM on the board, so you know I have board calls occasionally to have to take and what have you. Um, we it's. A lot of 2020 was breaking apart the company from a process perspective and trying to rebuild it, as you can imagine, in a way that really was effective. Um, we're One Vision partners, and they uh, piloted us in an EOS program, mm. the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Yeah, it's been the lighthouse for stormy waters and has really helped a ton. So we have weekly meetings that keep everything going on the business side. And then after those weekly meetings, I'm managing other people issues or process issues to try to kind of keep the ball moving forward on that. Um, After redoing our budget for this year, also I have to get out and beat the streets and sell. So (laughs) after after we hire a lead tech, then I'll be looking to hire a salesperson. But in the meantime, I've got to go back out there. So... (laughs) Well, I want to continue talking about um, some of the changes there, uh, your involvement with CDA as well as other uh, activities. Uh, But first, we need to take a short break. Sure, let's do that. This is our moment to see more possibilities than ever before. To expand our thinking, our capabilities, and our vision. To leverage the unique strengths of two innovative companies to create new opportunities for you, our valued customers and partners, to build confidence and loyalty with consumers and become the number one intelligent lighting and smart home company in the world. This is our moment 
to make an impact. As significant as this. This is our moment to shine. Welcome back. I'm talking to Jamie Breesmeister, CEO and co-founder of Integration Controls in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Jamie, you were telling me about the change to being CEO, and I really uh, was curious what Jeff, um, how his role has changed, because you said you kind of took over what he had been doing. As, um, I, I assume you mean that he was basically CEO. Now he's, I see he's listed as co-founder, but uh, yeah. what, what's his role now? Yeah, he's he's wearing many hats. Um, really, he's in charge of finance, so that's the biggest hat that he wears. Uh, we had some data issues last year, so his biggest rock was to uh, get our backlog of billing and QuickBooks management and all of the financials tidied up. So um, his focus has been in finance and also within the EOS platform where we're meeting, we have an a delegate and elevate exercise. So um, mm -hmm. we have our annual planning on Friday. So we'll go through what this means, but uh, right now he's really out in the field. He's doing okay. a lot of, um, he's doing internal sales uh, quotes that help myself and my salesperson make sure that we have like all the nuts and bolts or as many as possible before we sell a job. Um, and then we have a process that we do called discovery. So he's active in those discoveries. Uh, discoveries are kind of the precursor to selling a job because it gives for an existing home it gives us a lot more insight so again we know the right pieces parts and labor are all accounted for um, acts as lead tech uh, but really finance is kind of the the big company role that he wears and you know that transition was interesting there were you know many years as lead salesperson and outside perspective you know um, maybe my approach was wrong, but saying we need to do this, we need to do this, we need, you know, we, I, I'm seeing potential and we need to do it. And, and as someone who's very technical, it was challenging for him to stop doing the work mm -hmm. to focus on fixing the problems. And uh, it became like this, a, a bit of a thing where we would, you know, get into an, a rhythm or environment where you need to, you need to, you need to, and then maybe we'd have, maybe we'd have some discussions <laughs> <laughs> that got a little intense. <laughs> and then, you know, through, um, through going to a few of the CDO business exchanges and traveling with him in that business mindset, there was one, one the final one that CDA had um, Jeff looked at me and said, you know, cause I had been asking for an ownership role, right? As lead, I'm married to the boss. I'm a co-founder, but technically I'm an employee, but I'm the face of the company. So people saw me as an owner mm -hmm. and as I'm leading sales and being introduced as the owner, it didn't feel right. So yeah. I said, just, I just want a, a sliver of ownership. So it feels right. And I got way more than a sliver. <laughs> he took a sliver and he gave me the big piece of the pie. And he said, you know, um, We've been doing this for a few years. You have a lot of great ideas. And I think you can really take this on and, and ultimately do a better job than I can. And I, I can do the technology because I, I can't, you know, I, I installed an I can program, but that was 10 years ago Yeah. and I don't want to. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that transition was like him kind of realizing his strengths and, and, and my strengths, and then us kind of flip-flopping certain parts of our roles. That's an amazing um, evolution because you hear so many times folks that have found these companies that like yours, you know, they really want to just do the tech and then they find themselves running this business and they're 
usually not very good at that. And then they get stuck running the business. And then they learned that you're supposed to work on the business, not in the business. So they don't do the tech anymore at all. And they're miserable. And then yep. they quit and they sell it or they go work for a manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. all, all this sort of incestuous stuff begins in the industry. But yeah. the fact that you're able to sort of salvage um, roles, like without anybody losing their, um, you know, the, the ego issues of maybe being the boss and, you know, if Jeff really wants to just be out there in the field doing the work and yeah, you know, he wants that, to make people better. happy. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's it. He's, he's out there. He wants to see the happiness and in the role that he was in, he felt like he was making no one happy, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's because the joy of a client experiencing a system and telling you, thank you. Yeah. And, and the light that goes off in their face. And that is, that's, enjoyable that right. is what you take away and you go this is why i do it right yeah um and then having them send you christmas cards of their family like 10 years later you know mm -hmm. and it's that's why we do what we do and he was getting bogged down with all of the business stuff and yeah. i don't blame him and quite frankly when he told me now now you get to eat the pie <laughs> i i was like i don't want the pie <laughs> mm, can we find someone else to have the pie and um and no uh, I've been in it too long. I started it with him. Yeah. Um, it's, it's my pie now. So, well, well, two things I wanted to mention. One is that I, I did finally get to know Jeff better. I I've yeah. crossed paths with both of you in many events. Um, I met you, I believe at a CD awards cocktail reception after or a celebration thing, uh, where you and Patrick Hartman approached me about this CD exchange, re yeah. reviving CD management conference and recruiting me. And I was like, deer in the headlights like what are you getting me into here because I, <laughs> I, I was a guy that wrote about these events but I never was participating in the planning of them and yeah I'm not sure I did a very good job but at least I got to work with you on some of those um, councils when we were trying to put, put together exchange and successfully did that for a couple of yeah, years definitely um, last year though I was at my last in-person event with you and Jeff and that's where I got to know Jeff better which is the ProSource um, Summit in Las Vegas which is a scary thing to attend in person because we kind of knew what was happening in the world, but we weren't quite sure. Yeah. And when I got home, I just was so mad that I was had been there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but one of the good men memories was was sitting and talking to Jeff in a bar, which I can't believe we actually could have done. I know it sounds so weird. We yeah. were so scandalous, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No masks or anything. So, right. <laughs> um, we were bumping elbows, which we thought was so progressive at the time. Right. Uh, anyway, um, it was, it was great to get to know Jeff, but one of the, I just wanted to talk to you about your, you know, when we plant did this, this exchange event and you, that was just scratching, you know, like the tip of the iceberg for you, as far as your involvement with CEDIA, you were involved in a lot of things. Can you talk about what those extracurricular industry activities, um, do for you? Like, what do you, what do you get out of it? Why do you do that so much? There, there, it's such a time commitment. Yeah. Um, but there, other than just altruism, is there something that you really yeah. gain from that? <laughs> I know, you know, I've been asked that. Um, I, I like, I like to make positive influence. Okay. So, um, and I'm passionate about progress and I don't like to see people stagnate. Yeah. Especially or, or things, you know, so anything stagnate. So, um, that's really what fuels it. Now, why Cedia? It's tied to our industry. Yeah. Um, when I was a speech pathologist, ASHA was, was the Cedia. It's the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Um, in medical environments, your association is like your, your, 
Bible. Like that's where you go. That's everything that you do is based on the standards that they set. And so coming into this industry, that's like my natural inclination is I, I need to align with an association and CDS seemed to be the right one at the time um, and still is. And um, I hadn't really intended to volunteer outside of making, a, I had made a comment, I guess, to Mitchell Klein after finding that the CDA management conferences of the past had been canceled. Mm -hmm. And it was the, ver the, the last one they had was the first one I went to. And it was kind of the first business aha moments that we had as a, as a company. And it came too late. It was in 2010 or something. I don't know. It, was, it came way too late. Six years is too late to have your first business aha moment. But um, I complained enough to Mitch to say, hey, this sucks. I loved this event. I learned so much. It's built for people like us in this weird you know, growth phase. And he said, okay, well, if you complain enough, you should volunteer with CD and resurrect it. <laughs> yep. So I tried and was pretty successful for a little while. Um, I started uh, volunteering as the professional development advisory committee in that committee. Mm -hmm. And that out of that committee um, came the business exchange, but it also oversees a lot of other working groups that CDA has within it, um, kind of as a filter to the board, um, which at the time it was a new committee um, and it ultimately developed into this. So I didn't realize that was, I was taken on a big chunk <laughs> of volunteer work. Um, but I really enjoyed working with you, working with Lisa McCord uh, and, and her with Cedia. And that whole experience was just really fun. We got to create something that I thought was really valuable for the industry. Um, other thing, I mean, I'm obviously on the board now. So, you know, yeah, what, what, what do you, have you yeah. you've been on the board for a year now. Yeah. Um, what have you gained? What kind of insight do you get from those types of meetings? Um, yeah, having been a volunteer for so long and then now being on the board, like there were struggles that you see as a volunteer when you're doing when you're in working groups and, and comments maybe that you hear from staff that you want to help fix. And so I, I feel that we're in a position now on the board to help um, CDM make really good decisions in the future. And, and uh, we just had a board meeting today and I feel like we move the needle on those good decisions. Um, the challenging thing I think with any association or even my own business is that I want all the change to happen yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I have, a, I have a hard time being patient with the process. Yeah. Um, so what being involved in CD on this level has meant, it's given me insight to why things take a while, insight to um, having patience with the process. Um, Dave Weinstein has been a great mentor of mine. Um, anytime we have, you know, any kind of uh, discussions on the board that may or may not get heated. You know, he reaches out and makes sure that we're all aligned. And, you know, those relationships that you carry um, are more than just, it's, <clears throat> I had somebody go, well, you want to be on the, on the board to build your resume? Like, who am I going to build it for? <laughs> right. <laughs> for myself, you know, yeah. for my own feather and my own cap. I want to be, I, I wanted to be on the board because I thought I could make change. And, um, being able to make change is great and positive change is even better. Um, but the relationships that come out of it help support you as a person wholly too. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just, you know, I, I get opportunities like this on occasion because I'm a board member, but that's not why I signed up for this. Right. right. Um, yeah. I, I've, I, we have, you know, friends in common who have served on the board and I know they've found uh, similar 
satisfaction from it, but also frustrations because I think they probably are that same mindset of I own a business and I can change things today if I want to. But when you're dealing with a board vote or a, a big association, things take time. There's a process that you have to go through. There's a plan that's in place and you try to follow the plan. And I'm imagining that's part of where the headaches come in or the frustrations come in with that sort of a... Yeah, understanding the processes of, a, of an association outside of what you do in business, you know, but, but conversely, a lot of the strategy sessions that we've sat in have helped me reflect on my business and my hmm. strategy. Sure. And, you know, being maybe even being aware of, you know, before a, a before a press release goes out, knowing some of the programs that CD is in, it's 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 just good to know it helps maybe I have a little inside information to help me plan. Yeah. You know, that's that's definitely something I can plan a little bit better. Um, because I know that um uh we knew Propel was gonna launch, obviously before it did. Right. So, so something like that is like, oh, that's interesting. And you can think about it maybe on, on your personal business side as well as the, how is this going to benefit the CDA and industry at large? Yeah. And you're, you're just clued in more to the overall industry because you're part of that organization as opposed to, did I read the email that CDA sent me? Totally. No, I was too busy. Right. You know, to- to- you know and, and I completely, and I got to say like, in strategy, you know, we break down what is CDA doing? What do they need to stop doing? Do more, you know, they do a lot of fantastic things, but it's, it's getting missed in those emails, Sure. you know? And, and so strategy wise, how do we, how do we let the membership know what we're doing and, um, you know, get better social presence. That's where a lot of news is coming these days. Like how do, how do we get that out there? So people know what's happening because there's a lot happening within CDA and, we just need to get, I think, a little better about celebrating it and, and sharing what what's accomplished, you know, what's been accomplished. For sure. Yeah. Um, this is the part of the interview where we talk about um, my favorite articles of yours oh, okay. <laughs> um, and, and, and tie them to current events and things. So it's not just a, a laundry list, but one of the articles you wrote recently was about the now, the now normal for your clients. And I wanted to ask you uh, what sort of requests have changed in the past year because of COVID in terms of the technology that you're putting into homes. I, you, every time I talk to an integrator, it's all about, well, the home office has become a priority. Obviously the home, um, it, you know, network for the kids work doing school from home, whatever it is. Is that the case for your jobs as well? Are you seeing a lot of changes in the priorities that the clients place on certain things? Um, network. I mean, networks, I think, we certainly had already known, we as an industry know that networks are really important, but the, the aha moment for clients definitely went on. So yeah, that, that's happening for sure. Um, two other interesting, but doesn't, I mean, it totally makes sense request um, acoustic management because mm. of, like you said earlier with your wife, right? And her AirPods yes. and like all of these different meetings and conversations being had in the house. Um, it's, it makes the house very noisy. And everyone wants to be kind of clocked in to their, so we're looking at acoustic management in a couple different projects. Um, and it's challenging, right? Like after the fact mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to make things work in, you know, this one room in a, in a client space has two windows and a big barn door that they put mm-hmm. in because they love the barn door, but they had 
other doors that were much more acoustically sound. So now they're kind of kicking themselves that they, they did this, but it looks beautiful. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, well, what curtains can we add? And when, what about, you know, drapes over here? And what about acoustic paneling on the ceiling? Because the master bedroom is right above and, you know, she's get, she's waking up when he's going to work early and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then he's getting upset when the, the lawn guy is outside during a really big meeting that he has. So those that that audible garbage stuff is yeah. happening now <laughs> right um but it's it's audible like just people stuff too like sure. the natural sounds of humans um and then touchless like people are definitely picking up on uh voice more and that, that i don't have to touch or interact with things or if not touch just automated in general you walk in it turns on you walk out it turns off for lighting or something like that mm-hmm. um so it's it's things that have already kind of been around, but I think the awareness of the application, it's not just because it's a cool piece of tech, but now people are seeing how truly it can help them in their homes and, you know, help them maybe touch things less and have uh, easier meetings at home beyond a network connection. In, in, a, in a little bit of a tangential way, you've mentioned wellness and biophilia, because that sound that, you know, acoustics, is part of that it's a side piece of it but the um the biophilia topic has been something you've written about we've talked about it a lot in the magazine are you seeing that manifest into actual projects in any way besides the acoustic element i wish i could say yes but not really it's a little early yet yeah i think it's early yet and um i think especially now if people have a chance to be in any kind of nature they want to be in actual nature and not digital nature right (laughs) um so so i haven't we haven't that i know of had any of these requests but at the same time um i have a designer who's very much interested in wellness and has uh someone within her company being well certified and um when I say I have a design, a relationship of mine, okay, design relationship. And um, wellness is a big factor of what they do. And she was talking about, she's like, wellness isn't really picking up. It's not. And I said, well, let's rethink about how you, how you promote it. You know, similar to asking a client, do you want a smart home? The answer will most always be no. To say, you know, would you like us to do wellness stuff in your home or have a wellness solution? I don't know what that is now. Yeah. You know? What is that? <laughs> right. But, but if you say it as, you know, we have systems that can make your air and your lights and the noises in your home just feel better. And if you are interested in that, we have what we call wellness solutions that can make that happen, mm-hmm. but you've got to say what it is before you give it a name. And she, and she was like, Oh, that's right. That's, that's really the approach. Cause I'm thinking of it as do you want wellness? Yes or no? Okay, move on. And instead it's more of the conversation of how do you live and what's important to you? And are you sensitive to these things? And does the air quality in your home matter? And, you know, I, I I hear a fan in the background, do those sounds tend to bother you or looking at this new design, you know, the designer knows the architect knows it's a big open space with hard surfaces. Physics will show you that there's acoustic problems in there right now without even building the space. Yeah. So, well, yeah. are, are lighting, you touched on that as part of it. Are, are okay. you in the business of fixture installation yet? Or is that something you're even Not thinking yet. about? We are. So um, because, again, sensitivities, light, uh, poorly dimmed LEDs, the hums, mm-hmm. the flickers, all that stuff can make me mad. Um, so uh, 
we actually have a project. My, my mother-in-law had a really bad heart condition this summer and we almost lost her. And thank God we did not. She's a very much amazing person in our life. And um, so she's living with us now. And in this, um, you know, multi-generational household that we have now, uh, we'll be doing an addition and giving her a more of a private space. So in that project, I want to beta test a lot of the uh, products that we see being marketed to us as integrators and really vet, do we want to do this? Do we not want to do this? And if we do, what products are we going to use? So like I'm looking at um, DMF lighting and uh, we're becoming Ketra certified. So I I would love to look at Ketra bulbs in my house and um, working with David Warfel for like a good, you know, linear lighting design and taking those wellness concepts into play. Um, Color changing, I think is just fantastic. Why Mm -hmm. would you not these days? Um, you never have to install holiday lights again. If you put color changing lights outside, you can yeah. celebrate every holiday all year round. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so we're not selling it as a solution yet. Um, kind of our philosophy is we don't want to, not that it's bleeding edge, you know, lighting isn't bleeding edge, but for an integrator to become that resource, I feel we need to know more. Um, and I have a really good lighting resource in town, um, Wilson Lighting that, that I work with. They're so good. And I just, I don't always want to step on those toes. You know, they know that business better. There are certain elements of that business that they know to reach out to us with. Yeah. Um, and certain like custom pieces and maybe um, product that they don't have access to or can't implement, then we would be involved. So really, I wanted to do this beta test project so we know more whether we decide to sell it or not, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to, lot to get to know for sure. A lot of new things. Um, uh, one of the last topics I wanted to just address real quick, we've already kind of talked about it being a woman in the industry in a male dominated industry. And not only that being a husband and wife ownership team, those are two topics that you covered in articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then the husband and wife, you, you actually talked to other husband and wife teams and discussed what their strategies were for working in the same environment. And uh, you, you've, you've obviously covered what your evolution as business owners have been. Um, do you, do you kind of have a, I hate to say sorority with the other female, you know, members of the industry. Um, but do you, do you keep in touch with um, other women in the industry and and kind of share uh, best practices or anything like that? Or, or do you, have you gotten to the point where it's not even an issue anymore because you just um, keep doing it? I would love to say it's not an issue anymore, but I, I think it still is really. Um, and, and last year's ISE, was an example of that um, with a, a robot and how it was programmed to dance, right? And just being a woman and, and being in that field, you don't wanna um, be working and in work mode and be unnecessarily sexualized. Like it's, mm. it, those two things don't need to be in yeah. the same room. Um, so do I have a girl gang? I do. I do have a girl gang girl and gang. I love them. And <laughs> and it's it's integrators and it's marketers and it's women in the industry um, because one of the things that's vastly different about this industry compared to before, primarily female dominated, right? Speech pathology. And now I'm in male dominated. So in a pre- preliminarily or a primarily female dominated industry, it's way more catty, <laughs> mm. way more, 
mm, bitchy, I'll say, you know, yeah. you can edit that out if you need to, but at least that was my experience. Um, in this field, I feel like women are drawn to each other because we're kind of, we're all looking for the other purple unicorn that can make us feel like we're not the only purple unicorn in the room. Um, and uh, it's, it's nice to have, you know, and I, at the same time, I also want to recognize those husbands of, or the, the supporting spouse of those women, because um, a lot of women in this industry work with their husbands. And some of those husbands can be very support, very supportive. And some of them need some help in that department, quite honestly. So when we do have a chance to girl gang, it's kind of us supporting each other on an emotional level with being a woman in the world, but also working with my spouse and how challenging can it be? Or, you know, we found a way to work it out. That doesn't, it doesn't always happen that way with, with spousal relationships. You know, I, I came out of the office to become the face of the company and, and guide and run things. And you mentioned ego before, like, I think for a lot of people, if they were the founder, they have a hard time maybe recognizing if someone else in their organization, spouse, family member, whoever could do a better job. Like that's, that's some personal work that they could do to make their relationship and their work probably better. Well, that's a good note to, to end yeah. on, Jamie. Thank you so much, Jamie Briesmeister, for uh, taking the time today to chat. And I hope you have a great 2021. Thank you. It's, you know, it's gearing up to be that way. And I think if we just follow our plan, we'll be set. Also, thanks to everybody for joining us. Be sure to comment, share, or subscribe to the podcast. And you can check out all the latest news at resitechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.